0: It's almost the end of the year. Can you believe this? 2022 is drawing to a close. Another year almost fading into the history books. Every single year I say this. How can it be end of the year already? If you are feeling like this year has gone by super fast, you're not alone. I read something the other day that as we get older, Our internal clock starts running slower. This means that life around us seems to speed up for no particular reason. This is Nandini, the host and creator of Stories Between the Lines podcast. A very warm welcome to this last episode of 2022. Whether you are religious or secular, you are bound to find something that will make you smile around this time of the year, which is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? One of the best memories about growing up in India was that we got to celebrate all the festivals of i think pretty much all religions the indian christians have their own traditions based on the region they live in for most christmas is a religious tradition with midnight mass in churches i have such fond memories of getting together friends to make delicious fruit cakes known as rum cakes and those crunchy melt-in-your-mouth rose cookies yummy 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 While Christians celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th every year, the Jewish people observe Hanukkah, a religious holiday that happens, um, that falls around the same time as Christmas, but not on a specific day or date as the Jews follow the lunar calendar. And no, Hanukkah is not the Jewish Christmas. A lot of people assume that it is the same. This Jewish holiday is known as the Festival of Lights. Hanukkah is celebrated over eight evenings and includes a symbolic lighting of the menorah each evening. Menorah in Hebrew is the word for lamp. It is actually a candle bearer designated especially for the Hanukkah candles. This special lamp contains room for nine candles, one for each night plus the helper candle known as shamash. The Jewish festival of Hanukkah celebrates the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem. According to legends, the Jews rose up during the second century BC after the ancient Greeks had banned Jewish religious practices. It is believed that the temple was liberated but there was only enough oil to burn candles in the temple's menorah for just a single day. Somehow it burned brightly for eight days and eight nights during which a fresh supply of oil was made. The holiday commemorates this event. India is in fact home to several distinct Jewish groups. These include the Bene Israel, who have the longest history in India and the Baghdadi Jews who fled from the persecution in Middle East in the 18th and 19th century. And there's also the Cochin Jews. Although there are no official figures, India's Jewish population peaked around 20,000 people in the mid-1940s. Numbers have dwindled rapidly since the creation of Israel in 1948. India is one of the very few countries where Jews never face discrimination and persecution. Back in 2008, the terrorists attacked several prominent sites in Mumbai, killing and injuring so many people. The Nariman House, where a Jewish outreach center is located, was also attacked mercilessly killing the rabbi there and his wife who was six months pregnant at that time. Their two-year-old son was rescued by the nanny. Unfortunately, this is when many people in India and around the world got to know about the small but significant Jewish community in India. This incident piqued my curiosity and I've been trying to learn more about their customs and food how they've integrated so well into India it's almost time for Hanukkah and I think most religious scriptures seek to make sense of the world through stories isn't it and so I decided to dedicate this episode of stories between the lines podcast to learn more about the Indian Jews now I must thank Mayam Bialik Mayam. We all know her as the talented actor, Amy Fowler from The Big Bang Theory. She calls herself as an observant Jew and is passionate about debunking myths about Orthodox Judaism. And it's through one of her blogs that I was able to find our wonderful guest for today. This episode of the Stories Between the Lines podcast, we have the pleasure of introducing Rahel Maslia, a journalist, author, lecturer, and singer who belongs to the distinctive community of Baghdadi Jews from India born in calcutta now living in the united states she speaks extensively about the indian jewish communities as a way of trying to preserve and expand awareness of this minority but significant community in india and the far east she adds a musical flavor to everything she does and has recorded songs for the uh, sabbath and holidays from her tradition From 1952 to 1964, Rahil's father was the rabbi of the Magain David Synagogue in Calcutta, which was founded in 1884. She leads the highly rated Explore Jewish India Heritage Tours, during which she shares the intriguing history, customs, and songs of India's Jewish communities in Mumbai, Cochin, Calcutta and Delhi hi Rahel welcome to stories between the Lines podcast thank you so much for joining me today I think this will be a very educational episode to learn about the legacy of the Jewish communities in India
1: thank you Nandini I'm so so excited to be here and to talk to you
0: and thank you for inviting me oh my pleasure So the first first of all, let's talk about this. India, a country of almost 1.4 billion people, is home to just about 5,000 Jews as of today. I think the country has a historic legacy with at least from what I've read, three distinct ancient Jewish groups and maybe more subgroups. This is definitely a lesser known fact within and outside of India, Can you tell us a little bit about this, uh, the circumstances that led them to arrive in India?
1: Yes, it's actually a a very complicated question, which has many layers. Um, So actually, currently, uh, there are less than 5,000 Jews in India. In the last few years, now there are probably about 3,500 Jews left in India, most in, in Mumbai. Uh, as much of the community has gone to Israel, uh, especially in the last few years. But the roots of the community are so ancient, they actually go back to the time of the Bible. The first mention, uh, the only mention actually, of India in the Bible is in the book of Esther, which tells us that the king of the land of Persia at the time, King Ahasuerus, ruled from india to ethiopia so we know that um you know there was uh uh, definitely india at that time hodu is the hebrew word for india then there are some hebrew words that come from ancient sanskrit for instance the words for monkey and peacock rice sapphire emerald topaz cinnamon So we're pretty sure that there was trade from the land of Israel to India as far back as the time of King Solomon who built the first temple in Jerusalem. And the Romans already recorded that there were Jewish communities along both coasts of India in the first century. So it's really, really an ancient community. I like to say there's no such thing as one kind of Indian Jew Mm -hmm. because they're really different Jewish communities. The Jews in South India, in Cochin and the surroundings, are probably the most ancient. Um, They say that they are the ones who, uh, that Jews came to South India and they were the ones who were doing trade in the time of King Solomon. And then um, they also escaped um, the inquisition in Spain and Portugal. From the 15th century onwards, they escaped Mughal persecution. So um, India was really a refuge uh, for Jews uh, for many parts of the world. Um, So from the first century, Jews were in, uh, and biblical times, Jews were in South India. Uh, Then the Jews, if you go up the coast uh, to Bombay, Mm -hmm. as it was called uh, until 1996, I think. The Jews in Bombay say that uh, their ancestors escaped persecution in the land of Israel that by the Romans and the Greeks is really the story of Hanukkah Mm -hmm. so that um, that would be around the time of the Maccabees in the second century before the common era. And today we celebrate Hanukkah as a result of um, that Maccabean victory um, so that their story is they escaped that persecution. Yeah. They came on ships. Maybe they were headed for South India, but mm-hmm. they were shipwrecked. Maybe there was a storm. They were shipwrecked off the coast of Bombay. Okay. And uh, only seven couples survived. They um, they landed and they were integrated into the villages uh, um, on the coast, uh, the Konkan coast. And uh, they lived for many centuries, just preserving some of the customs that they remembered. Um, but they didn't have any, you know, law, any books or or um, objects or things like that since everything had uh, perished in the shipwreck. But anyway, that's of the origin tradition of the Bene Israel Jews of Bombay that eventually uh, a Jew from, probably from Cochin came and um, discovered that there were these this community living in the villages reintroduced them to Judaism they had already kept a lot of the customs but they didn't know why they did anything after so many centuries so um, they became re-educated in Judaism and today probably the largest um, Jewish community um, that remains in India the and B- then,
0: Israelis. that's yeah, the, the Benai Israel
1: okay. right okay. Um, and then there uh are the Baghdadi Jews, that is my community, that came to India in the beginning of the 1800s. The first um, Jewish settler in Calcutta was uh, actually from Aleppo, from Syria. He was a merchant. And um, he settled in Calcutta and began the community. And probably the most well-known Baghdadi Jew was uh, um, David Sassoon who um, escaped persecution and plague in Baghdad. And this is how a lot of the Baghdadi Jews came to India. Mm-hmm. They were escaping plague and persecution in Baghdad and Basra and came to India and set up a whole vast uh, um, network of uh, trade, the Sassoons did. And there mm-hmm. were other Baghdadi Jews who um, came and lived you know, more normal uh, middle-class lives. Um, not on the uh, Mm -hmm. scale of the Sassoons, um, who established a trade in opium and and cotton and and all kinds of uh, goods uh, throughout the Far East. So those are the three major communities, and as well, there are other smaller communities that are more recent with ancient roots. In Northeast India, there's Mm -hmm. a group called the Bnei Menashe, They say that they are descendants of the lost tribe of Menashe that was exiled by the Assyrian regime over 2,700 years ago, that they wandered from Israel all across until they got to India. Um, Eventually, uh, they also preserved traditions, but eventually they were actually converted uh, uh, from the tribal religion that they were following in northeast India in the states of Manipur and Mizoram and then when the British came they converted a lot of the community and then someone in the community had a vision in the 1950s that they were actually descendants of of this tribe and so a lot of the members of of the community started following Judaism and maybe um, 3,000 have uh, emigrated to Israel and uh, another few thousand remain in Manipur and Mizoram uh, following Judaism. but And their so smaller pockets of Bnei Ephraim in the South India have a similar kind of uh, story that they're uh, remnants of the Lost Tribes.
0: That's so fascinating. Yeah, I've read that, uh, you know, all of these communities often feel, I know, if you look at India, the landscape, each area is so different, the language, the culture, everything is so different. And But they did manage to live in peace in the communities they landed in and, um, and never felt the, you know, they've never been persecuted and, um, you know, they just assimilated into the community. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, it's really a fact um, okay the fact that we uh, you know that we lived um, without any uh, anti-semitism or persecution in India is really such a um it's such a treasure you know mm-hmm. there are very few communities and Jewish communities in the world that can say that and any time that we suffered in India was not because of indigenous yeah. um persecution it was because of something that came from the outside so um, the you know the Portuguese established the inquisition in Goa or Mm -hmm. you know a terrorist attack from Pakistan or Mm -hmm. something but not ever from within India itself so we just really really treasure the fact that we for centuries lived in India in harmony and peace with both our Hindu and Muslim neighbors I think that um, we went to school together, Mm -hmm. uh, many of us in in the same schools, unless we went to Jewish schools. Um, The Jewish Girls' School in Calcutta, uh, one time, was all Jewish girls, then they let boys in, it was still called the Jewish Girls' School. Then, when the community started dwindling, um, non Jewish students were uh, allowed uh, to come in for education. Um, My mother, you know, had worked side by side in an office and her best friend was Kamlesh Narula yeah. so um uh, it was really a history of i'm uh, not so much assimilation but i would say integration
0: integration yeah
1: integration which is different because we still did preserve our jewish identities
0: yeah i mean there's also mutual respect for every religion there
1: definitely yeah. hinduism has this um tradition of tolerance that everybody should worship according to his Mm -hmm. or her own beliefs and of course there's no conversion in hinduism
0: you know and then that leads kind of to to the next uh, question is immigration as we all know means change you know in all aspects of our lives one has to you know go through the change for a better life and change in most cases is good is for the good You know like all immigrants there is a process of adaptation and assimilation i mean despite all the faith and differences in tradition one follows a country like the united states has generally welcomed one and all um religiously and culturally how does judaism you grew up with especially in india differ from being a Jew in America I'm sure there are similarities differences and how did you adapt
1: yes it's Judaism in India and Judaism in the United States you know the basic tenets of um, Judaism are the same Mm -hmm. but so much is different Um, we all have the Torah you know our book that we respect and follow and honor um, but the customs developed in different parts of the world in different ways. So the melodies are different. You know, we, as every community, take from the culture around us. So we, um, we have different melodies. Some of our texts are a little bit different. Our holiday customs are um, different. Our foods are different. You know, in the United States, um, bagels and and braided challah and matzah ball soup and uh gefilte fish and those kinds of things uh, latkes like we didn't hear of any of those things in mm-hmm. in India Hamintashin for another holiday purim we didn't know about any of those things in India we had our own ways our own foods um that uh were special for for the sabbath or and for holidays um so in the in food and uh in melody i guess i would say i pretty much had culture shock when it came here (laughs) Um, it would be fair to say that but for instance hanukkah is a very very big deal in the united states uh and in in india it was not very significant it was it really is a minor holiday Mm -hmm. so we of course um lit a hanukiya a hanukkah menorah you have glasses that fit in with oil and wicks, that so different than the candles mm-hmm. and the Hanukkiah here. That was basically it. Okay. <laughs> no latkes, no dreidels. You can tell <laughs> from the names of the of yeah. these things that they're they're they came from Eastern Europe. So American Judaism, even though the first Jews in the United States came from uh, Sephardic communities from. Uh, you know Spain and Portugal and and South America and so on. Later waves of immigration, Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe, gave the United States its um, more Ashkenazic. That's the mm-hmm. term that's used for Jews from Eastern Europe, Russia and Austria and Germany and and so on. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of the customs um, and the terms that we're familiar with are um, are from. Um, those communities. For instance, on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, we have a special Seder, not just a Seder on Passover, but we have a special Seder with special uh, foods that um, each symbolizes a wish for the new year. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just like an example of one of the customs. Uh, It's not unique to Indian Jews. It's Mm -hmm. actually um, Sephardic Jews who Uh, are from Spain and Portugal and the uh, countries that we spread to after the Inquisition in Spain and Portugal. And also Jews in the Middle East, Iraq and Iran and um, India would be included, of course.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned food. So let's talk about food, my favorite topic. <laughs> I love food So, so the Western Jewish food, I think, is more or, more or less quite well-known or popularized by movies and other media coverage. And there is a sense of awareness and you know, people know what kosher means. I know there are various rules that govern the food consumed, uh, the kosher tradition, like meat and dairy shouldn't be combined but you know must be served separately or or eaten separately in meals i think dairy products are a big part of indian cuisine right especially sweets so what are the some of the typical food or adapted food of the indian jews
1: so again i would say that it depends which community you're from so um in the baghdadi community um because the british were in india i would say that our food is a is a mixture of um influences from from baghdad Mm -hmm. from india and also british influence we never uh ate any red meat out of respect to Mm -hmm. hinduism uh we would eat chicken and fish but but never any red meat so that was also one of the big culture shocks i had to like When I came to the United States, what like to try to eat a hot dog or a hamburger? Yeah. I was like, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> "Not very appetizing," and I became a vegetarian pretty soon. Okay. Um. So uh, that's one thing. The Baghdadi food would be um, a lot of um, the dishes have like a sweet and sour kind of base. As far as um, some delicacies or snacks, we would have. Um, cheese samosaks, um a lot of like pastry things pastries that were filled with cheese or with dates or um, uh, they also came from iraq they would be called cheese samosaks, different mm. samosa. samosas different from samosas and they're among some of my favorite things uh, to eat okay. with a nice cup of chai yeah. um, so that is the baghdadi influence then the indian influence um all over in the spices that we used, uh, uh, our cooks in our homes were, um, they learned the laws of keeping kosher to, to work in our homes. They were mostly Muslims, so they were already familiar with halal. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so the, the the spices that we used and we would have um, more dry bhajis, we call them bhajis, mm-hmm. uh, curries um, with any kind of vegetables and Palau which would be you know either from Iraq or from India and um, oh my goodness the Indian sweets are especially you probably know the Bengali sweets
0: are legendary I can feel your mouth (laughs) water
1: I can I just like when I went back to Calcutta a couple of weeks ago I was just like so I, I couldn't get enough of it. It was so, so, so creamy and delicious. So we definitely loved the Indian sweets. And I love samosas and, um, uh, you know, anything fried and bread and naan and were definitely wonderful. And I would say that from the British, um, there was some influence like in, in cakes, because all the wedding cakes, which are um, multi-layered, mm-hmm. uh, were fruit cakes. <laughs> so that's one example of the British influence.
0: Like for Rosh Hashanah, what would you typically make? That's that's kind of imbibes your uh, Indian heritage and your American Jewish heritage.
1: Um, well, the one the one food that. Um, is really unique to the calcutta jewish community mm-hmm. is called al makala mm-hmm. so it's like a fried potato it's a whole um potato that's deep fried first it, it's like it gets a crust around it it's like triple fried so the mm-hmm. first layer is it gets a, a a sort of a little crust on it and then you turn off the flames so that it kind of simmers in the oil for couple of hours and then oh, wow. right before you then right before you're gonna eat it, you turn up the flame again and yeah. it becomes very crisp on the outside and tender and white and fluffy inside. So that's um, a food that was that was uh, prepared for every Shabbat and holidays. Um, I've made an adaptation of that kind of like to do it in the oven so yeah. it's not quite as labor intensive. Uh, so that's alumakalas For Rosh Hashanah, you know, not because I'm a vegetarian, I don't cook the chicken anymore, mm-hmm. but it would have maybe been... On Rosh Hashanah, we we typically did not make anything that was sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. So we would just have sweet. There would not be like lemon or tamarind or anything mm-hmm. like that to symbolize our wishes for the, a sweet yeah. new year. Now I probably have added some things like uh, apple, Like an apple uh, um, kind of kugel or a carrot uh, cake or something like that. Other sweet things for Rosh Hashanah.
0: Nice. Sounds yummy. (laughs) 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 Rahel, I actually must thank Mayim Bialik for her blog post that led me to you. Mayam, as uh, you all know, is an amazing actress who played a major role in the Big Bang Theory and is the host of uh, Jeopardy among other talents she has. And she also writes a blog and she, in her blog, she had written that uh, she had sent her mother on a tour to explore Jewish India as a birthday gift. I think back in 2019. Her mother has never traveled alone. And as much as Mayim was worried and nervous for her traveling alone, the trip actually ended up being an experience of a lifetime. And uh, that's what she writes in her blog. And uh, thanks to the impeccably arranged tour led by you, Rahel. So you just got back after leading another wonderful tour. I think this is the one uh, first one after COVID, post COVID, right? So give us a little like a virtual tour or some of the highlights of this tour.
1: Um, So first of all, the fact that Mayim's mom came on our tour was amazing. I had interviewed Mayim a long, long time ago because I'm a journalist. So when she wrote to me an email saying, I want my mom to go on your trip, I thought I was dreaming, (laughs) Um, but she was amazing. She was such a lot of fun. Um, Her mom, uh, Beverly. Mm -hmm. And uh, we still stay in touch. Everybody from the group is uh, still in touch, believe it or not. She went in 2018 um, and uh, she was really, uh, you know, a leader in uh, the participants in the group. She was a lot of fun. So um, I say that because um, the group really uh, bonds and becomes like a family. And um, we tour both the highlights of India as well as Jewish India. So we start uh, in, uh, in Bombay, in, in Mumbai. And um, if people come on a pre-tour, we take them to uh, Elephanta Island, uh, which is a seventh century um, a Hindu cave temple. And then we spend our first few days in, in Mumbai. We visit some of the synagogues, the Baghdadi synagogues, the B'nai Israel synagogues. Uh, we have um, dinner and uh, prayers with the community in the Knesset Eliyahu synagogue uh, in the heart of, of Mumbai, not far from Gateway of India. And um, it's just wonderful to be with the community, to, to sing together with them and to eat together with them. We have a typical Baghdadi feast. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I just described, we, we would be served there. and. Um, we also go to visit the, the um the common laundry and um, we go to the Hare Krishna temple. So we really try to fuse both um you know what you would see in, in general India as well as um, the Jewish sites. And then um we go to the villages where the Bene Israel say that they were shipwrecked, mm-hmm. and my tour partner, Joshua Shapurkar, is uh Bene Israel himself and he sta- we stand on the beach, and it's just his his love um, of his um, of his ancestry is so palpable. You know that this is the beach that his ancestors landed on, and he's so proud to introduce his heritage to our group. And that's how it is for both of us. We're both so proud to introduce the heritage of Jewish India and the color and the warmth and hospitality. Uh, of of India, that's always around us, no no matter, you can't escape it. So, uh, then we fly south to Cochin um, and uh, we visit the synagogues there, very, very different in architecture, Uh, intimate, like I call them like intimate palaces of Mm. light and glass and color, and we learn about the Maharaja's um, tolerance and Mm. acceptance. Uh, and really welcoming of the Jewish community that had fled from uh, persecution elsewhere. Uh, One of the synagogues um, along Jew Street um, is like 30 yards from the Maharaja's temple. And it's said that the Maharaja wanted the Jews to build their synagogue close to his palace because uh, he wanted to hear Hindu and Hebrew chants mingle. So I just find that that's such a beautiful um, Mm -hmm. way to picture the the community and how well we got along with uh, our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And several of the synagogues are no longer in use. Uh, I mean, actually, uh, as I said, there are only 3,500 Jews. Mm -hmm. Most of them are in Bombay. There are maybe 20 Jews left in Cochin and about the same number in Calcutta. The synagogues aren't really uh, functioning uh, and alive, but they're still there for visiting. And I always, we always go and sing in mm-hmm. the synagogues to try to fill them with um, music and prayer. So, at the government of India has also, in Kerala, uh, especially the um, government of Kerala, has um, included um, some of the synagogues on its Muziris Heritage uh, Route, okay. so that uh, they. Um, have um, actually become museums that are visited by students and visitors of, of all religions. And uh, it's really, really amazing to see. That's so from amazing. there, we we go to Jaipur um, mm. and enjoy the beautiful architecture of Amir Palace and mm. uh, City Palace. And um, we watch the textiles being made. and and um, we learn a little bit about the maharaja one of the maharajas um, who actually saved some polish uh, jewish children um, during the holocaust Mm -hmm. and then from there we go to calcutta where i was born and um, i guess the highlight of the trip for me is to Mm -hmm. lead services um, in the melodies that i learned from my father in the synagogues where my my ancestors, where my father and my grandfather and my great grandfather would have stood uh, to to pray and to mm. lead services as well. And that's really, really a thrill for me. Then, you know, Calcutta is like each city is so different yeah. and I want the group to absorb how different they are. Um, and Calcutta, we walked from the synagogue to the flower market, which is a riot of color and yeah. activity But just along the way, just to see how people are, you know, living their lives is um, is so eye opening to to our group. So that's what we do. And we have also been to the Kumartali where they make the idols um, Mm -hmm. uh, in Calcutta. So that's another um, very wonderful experience. Um, And we go to the Jain Temple and see how it's just like a jewel box from there. we We fly to Delhi and uh, we see some of the monuments there. And my favorite is the Sikh temple, um, Mm -hmm. which is, I I can't, I love to sit by the women, you know, they have a community kitchen and anybody can come and and have food there. And then anybody can come in the kitchen and make chapatis and roll the chapatis out alongside the other women Mm -hmm. who are sitting there. And I look forward to that so much. It's like meditative to me for a group of women to sit there yeah. and just make chapati after chapati.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, they always get corrected in trying to make them the round, the perfect,
0: <laughs> perfect round. circle. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, they help me out every time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the longer, you know, that, that's amazing that they give free food to anybody who comes. Amazing.
1: It is amazing. Um, so. Uh, and of course the taj mahal we leave for the very end it's um yeah. and uh, back to delhi for the trip home so
0: that's wow the- it sounds amazing it i want to be on that trip you know just a plethora of different things that you 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 know take them on a trip that's amazing
1: i would say that um you know it's really the delight in the faces of the participants each day they say oh and the next day can't get any better than this Mm -hmm. and then the next day is just equally or more amazing and and i think that it's the way that india enters their hearts and their minds and their spirits if the faces of the children or the hospitality or you know the all the customs from the tikka to the arti and the henna um and home hospitality we have home hospitality as well um in in jaipur and um i think that you know the it really upends some of the assumptions with which we live in the united states Mm -hmm. even you know the idea of the symbol of the star of Mm -hmm. david where you see all over india as yeah i have one at my house right exactly You know (laughs) or the swastik which um people associate with nazism the nazis took and inverted it so you'll see that all over india um so it's just those kinds of things that change really change the perspective of of um of the people who travel with us that um india is not really sort of the stereotype that they envisioned it's a land of contrasts and it, it just really enters their heart and their minds and their spirits.
0: For that, the heritage of what is happening to the few thousand Jews still left in India—will we reach a stage sometime in the future where there's no one there to carry on this legacy?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't really love that question because <laughs> it's really got a not such a great answer. Um, I unfortunately there are. More and more members of the community are um, are leaving. Um, I mean, you know, the Baghdadi community. What happened is really after Indian independence, there was so much sort of chaos around no the partition more. of India and Pakistan, and um, and and uh, people were just not sure what was going to happen. And then a year later. Um, the state of Israel was established, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that we'd never had any anti-Semitism, um, the promise of of Israel was enough to really uh, attract a lot of the community to what we call Meg Aliyah, wow. to go to, li- to live in Israel. And that was the beginning of the end of the Indian mm-hmm. Jewish communities, because people really picked up and left almost en masse to live in Israel or they left to go to England, Australia, Canada, the United States. And um, that's why we're trying to do as many tours as we can now. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that as far as uh, um, preservation and continuing the heritage, there are a number of projects that have been going on and are going on, um, you know, in addition to, like I recorded a CD and mm-hmm. I, I have a book for Rosh Hashanah for the Seder. And uh, a, a songbook, and I try to do as many programs as I can because I think that in person, um, you know, to to meet to meet a person who's from India and Jewish is um, is something very important. Um, somebody, um, friend of mine in Calcutta, um, Yaël Silliman, uh, put together a digital archive of the um, called "Recalling Jewish Calcutta." Unfortunately, it was hacked. And is not online right now, but she's trying to. Um, she's getting it back together. Uh, in Israel, there are many preservation projects. There were recordings done of the Kochini women singing songs together, of the uh, Bene Israel community um, in uh, the south of Israel, on a moshav called Moshav Nevatim. There uh, is a, a moshav of Kochini Jews but now they, they and they have had like a synagogue built on the typical Cochini architecture and a museum uh, to the Cochini heritage, but now they are expanding it to include all the different Jewish communities uh, from India. Um, and uh, they have, uh, you know, several festivals during the year that attract uh, thousands of, of people. I know there are some singers who are trying to um, merge um, Israeli, you know, Hebrew and, and the Indian sounds, uh, together. So, um, and, uh, you did ask me, uh, when we communicated at the beginning about this special custom called a malida, Mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, similar to the, the gift, the, the the prasad, and, uh, in, it's a special custom on, um, you know, for special occasions like weddings and and engagements and housewarmings and so on. But it's also, uh, um, especially on the Jewish holiday of Tu B'Shvat, which is like a Jewish Earth Day. Um, it's a special custom because it's uh, got a lot of fruits and vegetable fruits and nuts around it, in addition to the central um, dome of like coconut rice. And that Melida is now a national celebration in Israel. You know, slowly, there are different customs and different things that are, are trying to be preserved by members of the community all over the world.
0: Well, that's very heartwarming to Isn't hear. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that's yeah. very nice. Rahel, thank you so much for your time with us today. It was insightful, enlightening, and it was a incredible learning experience not just for me but for all my listeners uh, to learn about uh, the indian jewish heritage i really thank you for your time
1: thank you nandini and i just will say namaste uh, just like shalom um it's uh, it's such a wonderful greeting and um i, I just want to say thank you and uh, i appreciate your
0: inviting me Hope you all enjoyed this episode of Stories Between the Lines podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and comment on my podcast on the platform you're listening to. You can find more information about Rahel's tour on her website, explorejewishindia.com. I am so excited about bringing to you many, many more stories in the coming new year. So until then, season's best greetings to you all and a very very happy new year. See you all soon. Bye.